Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Hello and welcome to another episode of Signal from Christians in Media. I'm your host, James Poulter. I'm joined again, once again, in the studio with my very good friends, uh, the Dame Ruth Jackson. <laughs> Hi. And not quite yet. Uh, One but day. We'll work on that. <laughs> and editor of Christianity Magazine, Mr. Sam Hales. Ha <laughs> ha. Oh, oh, wait, you're not joking. I am actually editor. Yeah, hello, hello. Hello. <laughs> Did you forget your job title? For yeah, you're quite right. I had to pinch myself in. Yeah. Hello, nice to see you. <laughs> still imposter. Imposter syndrome still. It's <laughs> looming large. So good. <laughs> in Sam's life. <laughs> Uh, maybe he's feeling <clears throat> slightly ropey after having not run the London Marathon at the weekend. Uh, trying to kind of keep up with that. Both of you have uh, achieved massive running feats in your life. Uh, Ruth up a mountain, Sam round a marathon. I've uh, done the marathon you too. You've yeah, done the marathon done too. The marathon as well. yeah. I've done neither of those things. And I Ruth, think ran you are it, fools. Ruth ran it considerably <laughs> quicker than I did as well. I'm basically a better person. It's, it's <laughs> That's what we're going to take from this conversation. <laughs> I'm glad that we've established that early on. And today on the show, we're going to be talking about being better people and what that usually qualifies as with some of the news stories that are making the headlines at the moment. We're going to be talking about the diversity panel as uh, Jeff Norcott, who is the uh, rather right-leaning uh, comedian, has been appointed to the panel along with other people that have been on this show, like uh, June Sarpong. We're talking about that. Uh, we're also going to be talking about the ongoing protests from Extinction Rebellion, a uh, warning of the current climate crisis and uh, what the Christian response to that might look like. And the movie that is making all of the headlines right now, uh, which is The Avengers Endgame, the, the film in the end of this at least sequence of big Marvel movies um, that has smashed all box office records. We're going to be talking about whether or not superheroes are still our idols and um, some other stuff about schools and parenting that's going to get Ruth rather excited. Um, (laughs) So that's all coming up after the notices. So, um, like in all good services, we need to have the notices. And these are some things that you might want, dates for your diaries, things that are coming up. Uh, This year, we are changing up things slightly in the Christians in Media calendar and giving you, rather than one big thing to look forward to at the back end of the year, which is usually the Church and Faith uh, Conference, this year we're giving you three different things to look forward to over the next couple of months. So, Mm -hmm. um, let's put those out there. The first of which is uh, the Christians in Media sessions. Uh, That is a morning of workshops and facilitated discussions, which is going to be hosted on Thursday, the 27th of June uh, at Carlton House Terrace in London and you can come along and hear from people uh, like a panel on media ethics which will be facilitated by uh, the BBC's very own Sally Bundock previous uh, guest on the show Uh, and also you can come and hear from Sheridan Voisey talking about the four elements of compelling storytelling and we've also got which I think will be very interesting for many of you a discussion on work-life balance and avoiding burnout with Action Jackson which is about the best name you could possibly ask for That's excellent I really hope we're related I, I do too and you may well be um, so that is coming up uh, on the 27th of June. Later on in the year, you can also go along to the next of our breakfast briefing sessions with Julie Etchington from ITV. Uh, she'll be hosting a fireside chat uh, there in September. Again, more information about that uh, up on Eventbrite and also on the website. And the big event later in the year is our main uh, church service for Christians in Media happening in October. Um, a little way out now at the moment, but we'll be bringing together an ecumenical service for Christians working in the media from all across the country 
at All Souls Langham Place on Thursday the 10th of October. That's an evening event. And you can find all the information for those things up on the events page at christiansinmedia.co.uk. And you can find tickets for all three of those over on Eventbrite. Um, All of those, I believe, are free events. Uh, No, the first two cost you money the last one's free (laughs) Uh, but all reasonably priced and you can find them there okay Uh, that is the notices for now of course if you want to connect with us on the show you can always do that go and use the hashtag hashtag signal and you can tweet that to us at Christians in Media over on Twitter you can also join the Christians in Media Facebook group we would love to chat to you there okay on with the news okay this month's news there is uh, lots to get through and let's start off with talking about the current uh, well controversy I suppose uh, that's been created by the appointment of Jeff Norcott to the BBC's Diversity Panel. Now, um, if you're not familiar with Jeff's work, he is a regular contributor to things like the MASH report um, on BBC Two with uh, Nish Kumar. Uh, he's also appeared on many of the big panel shows um, and is a comedian in his own right um, and is particularly notable for probably being the only openly conservative comedian on the circuit. Well, that's certainly the way in which he styles himself. Um, and he has been appointed to a new BBC diversity and inclusion panel um, with uh, four other folks. And that is basically kind of there to balance out a bunch of people who are actually from predominantly what would be considered minorities. How do we feel about this, guys? Well, the, the balancing out, you know, do we have to have everyone represented for it to be truly diverse? I don't think you necessarily need a white conservative person <laughs> for it to be a good diverse panel because that's, that's the norm within the BBC often, isn't it? The, possibly not the conservative but but the white male um and therefore i think if you've got a diversity panel you're presumably liaising with commissioners controllers that sort of thing and they will tend to be white men not always men but they will tend to be largely white i would imagine and therefore you're bringing in that diverse element there so i think i would probably go heavy on the ethnic minorities because not in a tokenistic way at all but in a way that you need to represent those because everything else is being represented in the normative absolutely and i think that you know when you look at the balance or at least the reasoning behind this obviously there's a few different things that are supposedly being pointed to one that he comes from predominantly a working class background which obviously isn't i think that often lobbied at the bbc is not always representative of people coming from working class backgrounds so i think that that may be fair also because he is someone who is voting for brexit also which is the something that the bbc has been accused on a number of occasions recently of having a slightly more remain point of view so then there may be something going on here um, reacting to this story from um the spectator earlier in the week uh, ross clark uh, wrote a very interesting comment blog uh, on the spectator you can go and find that yourself under uh, why Jeffrey Norcott won't last on the BBC's diversity panel. He's giving it 48 hours at time of writing. Um, and he's, he's still there, as far as we're aware. Um, but made out the point that it's not that you'll have said or done anything in, in that kind of time period, but you can't simply have a straight white man, simply the one that backs Brexit on a diversity panel, because it misunderstands the concept of diversity altogether, which is that if it exists only for the promotion of professional victims, he's saying, which I think is maybe kind of overstating the facts. Sam, what do you think about this? Is it right that you know, someone who is representing that kind of view that whilst in the majority in the country is often seen as the minority in the media is appointed to something like this? Well, I kind of want to take a massive step back and just acknowledge... I think what we already know, but it's worth saying is that you're never going to have a completely balanced panel.
panel in every way. You know, when you take into class, uh, race, gender, uh, sexuality, there's all these different ways that we now say, well, this is diverse, this is not diverse. And and sometimes it can feel like categories are being added um, almost every sort of month or year that goes by. You know, another minority group will say, hang on, our rights, our interests aren't being represented and and we're a minority too. And, And so I do have some sympathy with this sort of question, where is it all going? Because yes we should all work for a fair a just and equal society of course no one's saying we shouldn't but at the same time where do you kind of draw the line on all these different competing interests and competing minorities um, and I kind of just feel sorry for anyone who's involved in some of these discussions around diversity because I think it could be a real head scratcher and, and I've had this as an editor of a magazine you sort of look at it you think right we've been really balanced on gender we've been really balanced on race we've been really uh, balanced on different theological viewpoints and then someone comes along and says why are you so anti the working class you think oh my goodness we haven't balanced class or, or whatever it is you know what I mean there's so many different things to hold in your head when it comes to diversity of trying to make sure everything is equal we're never going to achieve complete equity across all of these different groups doesn't mean we shouldn't try but I do worry sometimes when because this sort of stuff can can understandably generate a lot of anger and I do understand that if you're part of minority group you feel you've been overlooked I completely get that at the same time I think it's difficult I really do yeah absolutely I think you know you, uh, the, Ross closed out this piece <clears throat> saying that as one former BBC employee might have out it all people are diverse but some are more diverse than others and I suppose that is the, the big qualifier here is that what counts as diversity is that you're coming from a small group is that that group has been particularly oppressed in the past I mean I think many people who are supporting Brexit would say that the mainstream media have been somewhat trying to oppress their views of having dared voting for Brexit yeah, and in the it's, past. it becomes really interesting when for example you take something that people love to argue about which is question time panelists <laughs> and you think well how how diverse is this group and of course historically I understand the BBC have gone to great lengths to make sure who is on that panel and even who is in the audience is finally balanced between the three major political or even more political parties whereas now people are saying well do we need to shift the way for example those panels and audiences are, are chosen and base it instead or as well as on how people vote in the Brexit referendum because that referendum has changed the political landscape so yeah. th- again I go back to my point these are not simple questions and also over indexing as well i mean yeah you're talking about question time audiences i think they may be fairly hard pressed this week to go and find a bunch of change uk supporters to go sit in the audience based upon the rather lackluster uh, launch party that happened this week uh, over and um, church house so you know i think if, uh, if anyone is uh, listening and is uh, one of those ardent supporters please do get in contact with the show because we'd love to hear from you and i'm sure that they would probably like to appoint you to a panel of diversity because that's how you're going to get that re- response up there if, if, if you're looking at current precedent i think that you're absolutely right question time or any questions or any of those kind of panel shows right now is a really good case study there's not a week that goes by without one panelist member or someone or other lobbying at the bbc of saying that they don't you know represent all views so maybe this is a counteract to some of those perspectives but we've certainly seen that you know kind of people taking these things out of context and trying to kind of over over inflate their position i mean i would would say those who have argued for greater diversity have been successful in the sense that the bbc now for example i think have forbidden male only panels that's been the policy for some months if not years now hasn't it um so I think those who've, who have lobbied for diversity have actually seen some success in various parts of the media where that sort of thing just won't happen anymore and I think most of us can agree that's a good thing 
in conjunction with this story, you also highlighted to us uh, this week, Sam, something that's been happening uh, actually related to The Spectator and The New Statesman, this uh, debacle that's been going on around Roger Scruton, who has, uh, was sacked within hours um, of The New Statesman's article appearing online that was uh, quoting him uh, or supposedly quoting him uh, for saying a few things out of turn. Uh, do you want to give yes. us the background on this story? Yeah, quite, quite incredible media story that's been going on and causing a lot of uh, debates. So The New Statesman interviewed Roger, Roger Scruton and they published um, their piece and um, as you say very very quickly you know he was a government advisor he found himself fired removed from that job advising the government on house building really as a result of that new statesman piece uh, next thing you know the spectator which of course is as a political rival is more right right wing uh, than the new statesman which is more left wing spectator get hold of the original audio recording of that interview and basically make the case that he's been misquoted or he's been quoted out of context um, and this is a great travesty and this is a terrible example you know bad media ethics you name it all the accusations are being thrown around um, and of course Roger Scroton is more is more right wing might hold some views that, that some people find very difficult or even offensive and it kind of raises all those questions again of um, should those people be allowed to advise government where do we draw the line has he actually said something racist or if we understand this in context has he not and so it's one of those where you can find yourself if you are more left of centre erring with um, uh, the sort of going with the, the new statesman defence saying no we did a fair interview and if you're more right of centre you find yourself reading the spectator and thinking this is terrible this poor guy has been treated really badly I think one thing we can probably all agree on is the journalist in question it was actually the deputy editor of the new statesman who did this interview he posted a photo of himself with some champagne and a caption along the lines of oh isn't it great celebrating that day when you get a government advisor Tory so-and-so fired I think we can probably all agree that does overstep the line when it comes to professional <laughs> ethics and boundaries yeah. and I think that was the wrong thing to do yeah I think George Eaton making a slight misstep there who is and the, he, the new statesman and he did then so. delete that post and I think he was right to do so but it raises all sorts of questions doesn't it about media ethics um, about people who hold opinions that we might find uncomfortable do they have a right to still advise the government um, I mean we, we don't have time or space to get into the ins and outs of, of Roger's views on all these different subjects but I think it was one to watch for sure did anyone release the audio so that people could decide for themselves whether he did or didn't say whatever he was accused of being said? Or, or was it, from both sides, was it someone's someone's interpretation of what he said? No, it seems to be both on both sides it's been you know, kind of held and the, the source of where that leak came from as well has been held down. The, the Spectator editor, Fraser Nelson, who um, you know, actually would regularly appear on one of those question time panels that you mentioned before, has um, said that he won't be revealing the magazine's source and said that um, they, he could not remember a similar situation where an interview taped like that had been leaked and I think that that you know, itself is an interesting precedent here is we sit in this current uh, you know, kind of climate of things leaking all over the place obviously we've had uh, particularly just this event this morning of the um, the Secretary for uh, Defence uh, Gavin Williamson being uh, you know, dismissed uh, by Theresa May from the Cabinet as supposedly being the source allegedly of that leak and now potential criminal investigations following up is that leaking all over the place seems to be happening whether it's in political circles or in uh, journalistic ones and I think that you know the the sanctity of something said privately in a room is something that I think that many of us particularly from an ethics perspective would try and hold to I mean you guys must have to deal with this on a daily basis when going on or off the record with people all the time Um, and those kind of journalistic precedents are are held to but it does seem that there may be a a slight breakdown of this kind of general that well what you say in a room doesn't get recorded and maybe that's attributable by the fact that we're used to being recorded and watched everywhere it's almost our expectation that someone is recording it and watching it I I think for me I often get asked a lot of questions 
questions by people that have appeared on uh, your, your own radio stations here at Premier talking about how to advise people about what they say online and you know or in a room and I was like well actually you're one screenshot or recording away from you know kind of disaster at every yeah. turn so nothing I, is sacred I would say those <laughs> magic few words off the record still very much hold though and it is it is odds isn't it how if anyone says oh this is off the records there is very much an understanding across any journalist worth of salt you do not then quote that at all and yet what I found interesting is if someone uses a different form of words such as oh I'd rather if you didn't say that it all becomes a bit more fuzzy because you think well you'd rather not say that but my job is to report what you say whether you like it or not and whether you think it makes you look bad or not I have a duty to the audience and you've not specifically asked me not to do it yeah so if someone says oh I'd, I'd kind of rather not you know especially if it's after the interview you think that that becomes a lot more muddy and I'm not saying I have a particular policy that applies to every situation I think that things can change depending on various factors but whenever someone says this next bit is off the record I think everyone's agreed you do not then quote that that's interesting though because obviously you as the journalist asking that question and then someone saying to you yes this is off the record you know that comes from a precedent of when people was literally sat there with you know kind of either a tape cassette recorder or you know, yeah. much earlier just a notebook noting these things down and whether or not you're actually going to quote this person but with so much of the way in which we actually do our jobs now to capture content like the, these things are little snippets of digital files that are often on shared so Servers picked up by all sorts of people, even here in the living, you know, even here in the studio as I sit, you know, I'm watching the burly feeds coming in, I'm watching news, but I'm dropping into different, you know, kind of spaces. The the idea that that thing said in the sacrosanct kind of space of one person to another has degraded somewhat, has it not? I mean, you know, if I'm the producer sat there and I see that and he said, well, you said it off the record to you, but it didn't say it to me. Uh, where do we draw <laughs> no, the line I there? Don't, I don't think that holds any weight at all. I, I think <laughs> as soon as someone says off the record, you cannot then quote it. I mean, you're right with the technology that may well still go down on tape. And so, like you say, that will still be able to be accessed on a computer somewhere. It will still exist. But because the words off the record were uttered before it, I don't think any journalist worth their salt would ever dare touch it. Mm. Um, but, I but, think that would so, be unethical. But, and that, that may be true, but so many people that touch this content nowadays are not the journalists that recorded it. They're not journalists and therefore maybe don't feel that they have to hold themselves to those ethical boundaries. And I think that you're seeing the same thing go down in, you know, kind of, as we've said, you know, kind of the things that were said in the Security Council meeting that have obviously now leaked about the Huawei thing that's going on in the news at yeah. the moment is that you know that those things were said in a room that was supposedly secret but other people are going well I'm going to make my own personal judgment about whether or not that should be shared out so maybe these rules aren't as hard and fast as we would perhaps like them to be maybe they're going to degrade over time we shall see okay well so uh, two rather big uh, political stories and the third that we have in the politics section is to really look at this um, quite astounding ability for protest to kind of go um, and disrupt public life which is uh, Extinction Rebellion's ongoing protests uh, here in central London where we're recording uh, and I expect probably will go far beyond the reaches of um, the, the kind of London bubble um, and particularly this question for, which was sparked by an article that uh, was made last week in the Church Times um, saying that Extinction Rebellion's prophecies are not new um, and an interesting kind of comment piece here around actually that you know these these first kind of um, things that Extinction and Rebellion are saying, the fact that we're on the kind of precipice of you know kind of disaster with the environment and climate change, actually are many of these people had founding kind of Christian environmentalism voices of you know over fifty years ago. Uh, there's a quote here which I think is quite interesting. In 1969, the vicar of Great St Mary's, Cambridge, uh, travelled to Belfast to deliver the Church of Ireland's annual theological lectures, and he began in prophetic mode, saying, "It seems to be probable that the future of man as a species may be decided in the next half century." 
Um, and of course, we are now living with those those prophecies. The big question, I suppose, for you guys is, you know, or I, I'd like to ask us uh, all to consider is, you know, how, how as Christians are we supposed to engage with this idea of protesting in this way about a topic that actually does have quite a lot of controversy around whether or not it's something we need to do right now, disrupting public life? Ruth, would you be uh, so out there marching with I them? I think it's really interesting because um, Extinction Rebellion's intention is to get as many people arrested as possible so that they get as noticed as possible and therefore you know to raise the awareness in in the most extreme way they can and which and, arguably they have achieved yeah absolutely i mean they've definitely achieved it it's it's I read a really interesting comment piece um, by someone who had been arrested, I think, last year. I don't know whether it was with Extinction Rebellion or with another protest. Um, and he actually really regrets his decision not to protest, but to go so far as to get arrested because he was talking about the fact that actually the waste of resources to get him processed, to have all the signs, all the forms signed, you know, the time that the police took to process all of that could have been put to much better use. And I actually have some real th- sympathy with what he was saying. I think it's important that we raise awareness of these issues but I do think there are different ways to go about it and I I think it's really interesting as well it sort of links back to the children who were protesting which obviously our magazine covered because that was interesting should we shouldn't we take children out of school and protest these things and and one person who thinks that they shouldn't have been taken out of school so he's a youth worker he was saying look if these children feel really strongly about it they should protest it in their own time which again I can kind of see what he's saying but then on the flip side they were saying which again I can also see sympathy with is you know there's not going to be schools if they if they don't do something about this and And so by the very fact that they are you know self-excluding to go and do this is part of making the point it's their equivalent of what these many of these protesters are doing by trying to get themselves arrested by gluing themselves to Waterloo Bridge which is obviously a slightly stupid but in, you know, for um, personal health reasons, but nothing else. Um, but you know, is the, the aim of, of disrupting the peace and, and also making you know, kind of a real statement. You know, many of the kids that are walking out of schools to do this are doing the same thing. By yeah. their absence, they make a greater point to their teachers, their parents, and and the governing bodies that surround the schooling system. I guess my question would be: uh, I think it's undoubtedly an important issue and one that we need to be talking about. But my, my question would be: What is the best way? To, yeah. to talk about this. Now, I, I don't have the answers to that. I don't know if protesting, and particularly protesting in that way, is the right answer, but I, I'm not I'm not sure what is. Sam, do you think the church is responding to this current crisis in the, in the right way? Are they saying enough, not enough? Um, I think the tendency with anything political, and I appreciate there's some who say climate change is not political, but in my, in my view it, it has some political ramifications because we're talking about changing laws, we're talking about, you know, politicians doing something about it. I think with anything political there can be a tendency to think well the church must respond the church must step up the church must speak and i think the truth is is that the church has to pick its battles we have to know where we speak because we cannot no christian no church no individual church community no christian leader can speak on every single issue and i think god gives us in different ways god gives us passions or gifts in in particular areas and there will be some who really really care about this and feel a sense of calling to protest or to do whatever and that's fine but i get slightly nervous when uh, let's take you know let's take that issue as an example of someone saying right i feel strongly about this personally as a Christian therefore the church must X, Y, Z I get slightly nervous because I think well you have been called personally to do that has the whole of the UK church been called by God to speak about climate change I would actually argue no I would say the whole of the UK church has been called by God to do certain things they include make disciples of all nations they include baptise people they include teaching people I don't see in that 
at the, on the same I'm not saying it's not important but I don't see on the same level of that political campaigning on any issue including climate change but we are called to stand against injustice and I think the thing about we can't physically stand against every single injustice out there in the world but with climate change I I think often we think of just the environmental implications and obviously we all know that it's not just environmental implications that that often affects the poorest communities because they're the ones who are impacted by the environmental changes and I think we often forget that behind the environmental protest is it's people that we're campaigning against it's people that we're protesting against that are going to be hurt and I see what you're saying Sam but at the same time I don't think there's it's not like people are divided on this issue really like it uh, from a church perspective it's it's not okay and we need to stand up against injustice it's not like a it's not a controversial issue within the church it's a straight up no we shouldn't be like we we should be trying to stop climate change happening yes and i think that 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 interesting point though is that around where the responsibility lies and where um you know influence and change can be made so through these protests you know that presents a number of different issues which are you know regardless of what you feel about this specific issue in this case climate change but moreover the tactics that are being deployed that does present some interesting questions because there are other ways of us you know kind of supporting these things obviously we've spoken to you know on the show in the past to people like tier fund and other organizations who in many ways are having to go and now mop up the effects of climate change that are having ramifications around the world because they see it as their Christian duty to go and do that in terms of relieving uh, poverty that's increased by you know, kind of bad weather or you know, conditions or climate change in other places. So you know, there are different ways of supporting other organisations to solve these problems rather than necessarily going out and marching. And as I say, you know, kind of taking a Spider-Man tactic of sticking yourself against a wall. Yeah. Um, you know, those types of things can be looked at in different ways. But in terms of the core issue itself, you know, there is, a, I think, a call for you know, kind of stronger uh, and more clearly articulated perspectives, not just you know, coming from uh, the church at a large level, but certainly at a denominational level on what we should be asking people to go out and do. You know, when you have some, you know, in the broad sweep of what our churches look like, you know, having some people out there campaigning on one end of the spectrum or the other, that creates confusion in the masses. And there is probably something that we could do better. I, I guess what I'm saying is, I just think it also creates confusion if the church. Any denomination or the church in general becomes known for any one political cause more than it becomes known for what the the core job of the church is to do. So it's not that I'm saying the church should not care about justice or the individuals in the church should not campaign or that we shouldn't have Christian charities campaigning. I'm all for all of that. But I just think we have to be very careful when we use this language of the UK church must XYZ on any political issue, frankly, because I think, you know, it's very difficult for, uh, for us to be prescribing the whole of the UK church should care about the political issue that I personally am cared about, where and I would argue that the Bible has things to say about the whole of society and not just the political issues, important though they might be. But I do think the church could be doing more, and I say the church with a big capital C, meaning all of us, could be doing more to model stuff well when it comes to climate change like the amount of churches I've been to where it's disposable cups left right and centre and all of that and they're not recycled and and I just think we could be doing more sure you're totally right Sam we can't be protesting on everything but we can be modelling looking after the poorest people and and our planet better from a church platform well if you have got thoughts or views on that we would love to hear them if your church is doing something interesting in the world of climate change or if you've got a specific perspective on how we should be articulating this better through christian media then we would like to hear from you use the hashtag signal over on twitter or join the facebook group to give us your thoughts back with a couple more stories after this 
Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. And we're back. A couple more stories from this month and maybe with a slightly uh, more social impact tact. Uh, First of all, this is something that I'm sure, as I mentioned up at the top, Ruth is going to get passionate about. (laughs) Uh, This is an article uh, from actually uh, our very own premier uh, news uh, here, which is that schools and parents uh, need to work together to protect children online, uh, says Christian social media expert. That expert is uh, Dr. Bex Lewis, who we've spoken to many times on the show before, um, who is Manchester Metropolitan University's social media expert. Uh, And she was quoted saying, this week um, that adults must work together with children to help navigate the, the social media world and in particular in response to Anne Longfield's co- um, study which was recently conducted and found that many 12 to 15 year olds don't understand the terms and conditions that they're signing up for on social media and most 8 to 11 year olds don't understand any of them um, So, no, which um, I, I, I don't uh, blame them particularly that's England's Children Commissioner saying that young people are being left to fend for themselves in the digital world. Um, Ruth I'm just going to let you pontificate about this for a moment. Thoughts? <laughs> Um, well, I mean, I think we were joking earlier that none of us really either read or understand the terms and conditions that we often sign up for. But I, I really like Anne Longfield's um, intention that actually we really, at the core of what we're doing, we need to we need to be protecting children and young people. And I think it's and Bex is absolutely right that it, it can't just be one people group doing that it's got to be schools it's got to be parents I think it's also got to be youth and children's workers it's got to be people like all of us working together it's that age-old adage of it takes a village to raise a child mm. that actually we should all be I, I think often in churches we we tend to be quite sort of territorial about our things with it oh no I'm not a youth worker I'm not a children's worker actually we've all got we've all got a duty to raise the children within our churches if there are children if there aren't you need to be going into the schools and getting the children um because this is all dragging them back to the church. dragging them back no going to where they're <laughs> They are not bringing them back. Um, but it's it's all of our responsibilities, actually, to help our children and our young people navigate this. And it's a new world. You know, they're digital natives. They've grown up with all of this. We didn't grow up with all of this. We're still, to a certain extent, trying to figure it out. Um, and actually, sometimes that means figuring it out together. I agree to a certain extent. And yet, I also feel that there is a heavy burden of responsibility on the platforms themselves to make this much more simple for all of us, not just for adults, but particularly for children. Having worked in building social networks for children in my previous job at Lego, you know, I can tell you that making it clear and understandable to kids what they're signing up for is not an easy task by any stretch of the imagination but the people that are designing these platforms have a burden of care and responsibility to make it clear for them and I don't think that we should be leaving it up to parents and as you know, a parent of two young children, thankfully many years below these ages mm-hmm. where we've got to deal with this. I worry even as someone that works in digital technology that over years you know, coming up that I will find it more and more difficult to articulate to them what they're supposed to do and what they don't. If it's not made more simple so I think that there is a, a burden of care kind of question here which admittedly Anne's um, report does you know raise this need as she highlights um, both that there's a need to rewrite some of these terms so they're easy to understand and also I think this idea of a digital ombudsman to mediate for children um, if they want certain posts or photos taken down which is particularly an interesting um, issue 
Uh, and particularly because it also presents the idea that we've seen uh, around this story as well, um, that there are many kids now who want their parents to take down mm. social pictures that have yeah. been shared of them before they had the permission to do so, before uh, we got recording this Apple. afternoon we were talking about baptism and you know, kind of the idea of um, you know, infant baptism and that was a general discussion, but you know, that's a decision that many people didn't get to choose and they have to reconcile it later. <laughs> this is the same problem happening on, on social media every mm. single day, so we're seeing that kind of writ large. Sam, what's, what's your perspective? Perspective on this one. I find the discussion around privacy really interesting because you just think how far our culture has changed in the last decade or two. You know, I think back to sort of early days of Big Brother and the social experiment of what would happen if all of our lives became public and we broadcast them on the TV and most people being quite scared about that idea. And then, of course, now we're all sitting here with smartphones where we all choose to put huge amounts of our life out there completely public. And I just think there's been such a shift in how we think even about a word like privacy because those of us of this generation and older, so those of us in this room and, and those of our parents generation will have I think very different ideas about whether privacy is even something we value or how we value it or how we think about it we'll probably have a totally different attitude actually to the kids that this survey's been done with so it's almost like those of our generation writing this story thinking isn't it terrible these children don't understand about their privacy rights and I think but the generation that's coming up they have a totally different concept of what privacy means of what level of privacy they should even expect in the world to what we ex- to what we expect and by the way I'm not saying this is a good thing I, I would completely agree with those who are concerned about the next generation and how they view privacy and there are huge issues with you know photos and, and all the rest of it but I, I do think you know is there actually an underlying deeper cultural problem here than just terms and conditions but this is where I I think conversations need to be had. I totally agree with you, James. We need a digital ombudsman and, and things need to be simpler for children to understand. But this is where actually we need to have so many open spaces, whether that's in youth and children's groups, whether that's in the home, whether that's in schools. I would argue that it needs to be in all of those spaces where we can talk about these difficult questions where, you know, that... The, um, the stats around pornography are horrific like nine year olds are, are viewing porn and, and, and that is normally accidental and I was then that say, turns into yes very often accidentally yeah yeah, yeah. And, and, um, but that's not to say that it's not happening and I think uh, of course we don't want to be putting ideas into children's head that they don't have but the sad fact is a lot of this stuff is out there and so we need to be creating spaces where we're talking about these things and where it's an open place for discussion and 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 children know that whatever space they go to it's going to be safe whether that's the children's worker whether that's the school whether that's the parents that it's an okay place to talk about these things absolutely well if you again if you've got thoughts on this or you know maybe perspectives on how you are raising your own kids to deal with the complexity of online life uh, please do share that with us we would love to hear your perspectives and we'll share them on the show in future weeks okay and the final story of the news today that we're going to look at is one that is well if you've been anywhere near um you know kind of a billboard recently it's been pretty <laughs> hard to avoid uh, and certainly online uh, avoiding spoilers has been a kind of navigating something that's akin to slalom racing um, in search of a superhero how marvel is fulfilling our generation's longing for escape is the title of the blog post that was published uh, this week over on uh, sam's very own premier christianity magazine you can go find that a fine publication it is um, and we thank uh, premier every month for their support in uh, giving us the studios to come and record the show uh, sam give us uh, your rundown on this you're, you're not the biggest of marvel fans i understand but uh, oh, no you've piece, outed me uh, well <laughs> i get I'm, hate mail now it's all right i'm sure you can uh, make up it's not like there's only 21 uh, movies to go and watch <laughs> to try and get back up on, on speed um let's just uh, dive into to this story how do you feel about superheroes being the kind of model of you know kind of saviors for the world and, and helping us kind of get out of ourselves yeah well i guess the classic kind of way that christians have engaged in superhero films is to try and make all these slightly trite comparisons and say well yes you know <laughs> superman's great but it's Jesus great for the first 
determined illustration, Jesus isn't it? Jesus is even better. <laughs> and, you know, there was that Superman movie, wasn't there, where he basically died and came back from the dead and it's all a picture of Jesus. And I don't know. Maybe Spoiler. There's, maybe there's a place. If you've not yet seen Superman, Ruth, then we've got some... I mean, we, we've talked about your ability to do this before, but... Think, this was I like think, Superman, Superman about 10 years ago, I'm I think sure. it's been out long enough. If you've not seen it yet, then it's your own fault at this point. Uh, I'm not going to explain what Superman is. Um... <laughs> But yeah, so so that that has been maybe, maybe I'm being unfair, but I think that has sometimes been our level of cultural engagement with superheroes. Anyway, the piece that you're talking about, James, we didn't really take that tact at all. Instead, I uh, got in touch with a film reviewer, Nathaniel, and um, he wrote a really. It was actually in the uh, in the print magazine originally, and then we uploaded it online as well about Avengers. And he just had a different take to this. And you know, as a film reviewer, I, I guess he's probably not the biggest fan of of Marvel films in general, um, including kind of the latest uh, Avengers is what he was writing around, and just saying that the, yeah, this is kind of classic escapism. Um, but I thought he made a really good point, which was what do the Avengers actually stand for beyond people not being hurt? Do they have a kind of cause to? No, it's it's definitely a kind of um, rebellion, <laughs> or <laughs> it's an extinction rebellion story, <laughs> essentially. Sorry, I guess, that has I guess an he was joke. But... I guess he was sort of saying, as a film critic, it just all feels a little bit lowest common denominator. I think so, but I think the interesting point that he makes out is that the world is complicated and confusing, but Marvel films are not. Yeah. I'm quoting him from there, yeah. and I think the fact that they do follow a somewhat, some might say, um, very simple or trite, you know, kind of format, what they do very well is give us a sense of escapism that is actually based around some large moral question in most cases you know if you look at all of the different marvel movies whether that's iron man about whether or not we should really adopt technology in the world and whether it's good for us because it leads to you know every bit of good technology also has a bad use in terms of weapons for example or captain america you know kind of like looking back into what we've learned from history of war and bringing that into kind of current 21st century ethics like they're all built around a big you know kind of premise and obviously they're all comic books originally so actually they're far more nuanced and detailed in those original material than they ever end up in what can fit into 220 minutes of you know kind of hollywood box office you know kind of popcorn fodder um but I think he makes a really good point is that because they follow those kind of familiar structures with a messy kind of final act as he says um, they actually kind of allow you to you know, take a step out of what has rather been a crazy kind of time at the moment and certainly if you uh, map the kind of success of these movies since you know kind of I think it was 2008 with the original uh, Iron Man film um, leading all the way up through 21 movies up till now what is the climax of uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe or MCU the MCU uh, exactly I've done my research <laughs> with um, Avengers Endgame that is now the most popular film ever to do an opening weekend yeah. at the box office which is just incredible um, you know that is a, a sign of the times I suppose and that we rely upon these movies to kind of get ourselves away and, and take a break from you know kind of all of the yeah it's classic escapism and you know I have seen a few of the films and uh, yeah I'm not not the biggest fan of the world but yeah we all need a, a moment of escape actually just very quickly on this did anyone hear Justin Welby's recent interview over on the Sacred Podcast well worth listening to but uh, he was asked about what he does to relax and I was kind of interested in his answers because it, it was dresses as a superhero no it was things like it was it was things <laughs> he does like that every day when he gets ready for work doesn't he it was things like listen to classical music and, and other pursuits he listed a few of them and, and let's just say they're all quite highbrow let's say and, and then right at the end he was kind of pushed what do you do to really relax and he he admitted oh it's it's a bit of a guilty pleasure but I, I did watch one of those Marvel films the other day <laughs> and I just thought how funny that was that he couldn't just say yeah, I just watched a kind of, you know, popcorn film, not much meaning to it, just to chill out. You think, we shouldn't be ashamed of doing this. There's there's room for escapism, and no one should feel 
embarrassed about going and watching a Marvel film, for goodness sake. We don't want to be so uptight and serious that we can't just chill out and watch a, a silly popcorn film. I'd still rather watch a chick flick. Fair enough. And for those of you that have been following Game of Thrones for the past three weeks, you'll know that that's also providing some rather uh, gory end of the tale of <laughs> escapism. But in all of it, and you know, as, as Nathaniel points out in this piece, escapism is the one of the oldest forms of entertainment. Um, but the only difficulty is that the hope it offers is somewhat fleeting. And I think that that is an important thing to kind of draw out, is that we always end up back in the real world, dealing with real world problems. But it's good to have a moment to dive into, well, I don't know, something called Endgame doesn't sound particularly hopeful, but I'm sure that there'll be a... No <laughs> None of us have here. seen it yet. None no of spoilers us have seen here, it uh, but yeah, let's, let's hope that there's more after this if you're into uh, the Avengers. Okay, we will be back in just a second with our recommendations for this month. We've got some really uh, good things for you to be listening to, watching and reading, and we'll be back in just a moment. And we're back now with the recommendations section, the playlist, the things that you should be paying attention to. And I'm going to start uh, this month with uh, Mr. Sam Hales. Sam, what have you got to recommend for us? I believe a podcast uh, that you're a fan of. My recommendation uh, this month is a podcast. It's Cooper and Carey Have Words. This is James Carey, the fantastic comedic writer, sitcom writer, and Barry Cooper, who is also British but lives in the US. There's like a UK-US thing going on in their podcast, Cooper and Carey Have Words. And the latest episode I listened to involves them in interviewing Daniel Strange and Daniel is from Oak Hill Theological College and he's written a brand new book called Plugged In and it's all about looking at culture uh, from a Christian point of view and I'm reading the book at the moment so both the podcast Cooper and Carey Have Words and also Plugged In by Daniel Strange is the book both are superb and I just love it when Christians analyse culture from a biblical perspective from a practical perspective here's how we can engage in the world in which we live and there's obviously huge implications for, for media and everything from you know should we watch Game of Thrones to what are the cultural messages yes. that, uh, <laughs> that, that that go on in our world and uh, you know the book Plugged In has a fantastic endorsement from Tim Keller who of course is a hero to many for his work in getting Christians to engage in culture and it's just wonderful to see a British scholar a British writer in Daniel Strange just working at such a high level because we all know about Tim Keller and the Americans but it's nice to have a Brit who we can really hold up and say here's some top cultural analysis from a Christian perspective so it's Plugged In by Daniel Strange and you can hear him on the Cooper and Carry podcast. Very good recommendation. One that is uh, fairly recent and relevant. So, <laughs> let's see if Ruth can meet that same bar, uh, which she usually fails to do so. Uh, oh, Ruth, what? Harsh, harsh, harsh. Um, can I first just talk about the conference that I went to a couple of days ago? Uh, you may recommend so that in some form. Yes. It was called Exploring Belief, um, put on by the Religion um, Religion Media Centre. So it's the second conference they've done, and it was it was an interesting day of looking at how how the media in general uh, portrays religion, different religions. Um, and actually, there was a huge section on unbelief, which felt a little bit ironic at a, a, a festival on belief. Um, but it's just interesting, like lots of lots of different people from lots of different religions talking about how... Um, like how best they wanted to be represented, how they felt they were represented. Um, Just really interesting. It's worth checking out what they do, uh, particularly if you are working in the area of religion, but I think not even necessarily, you know, we we talk about religion if if you're working in children's television or things like that, kind of indirectly. So I think it's definitely worth checking out. So that's the Religion Media Centre. I was going to recommend a podcast, uh, but given that you recommended a podcast, can I quickly change what I was going to do? And Will talk it pass about, the censor over here, um, James? Let's, talk about let's see what a happens. Theater show. You may talk about so a theatre show. So it's a musical that is currently Just storing... Just lead that in again. 
for your recommendation. Okay, so I would like to recommend a musical that's currently touring the UK. It's uh, it's based on Green Day. You would think, how do they, how have they produced a musical? Uh, so it's a good question. Um, and it's called American Idiot. And it's so after it's, their eponymous, yeah, after, kind of, yep, yeah, after their no, album. not eponymous, after their very famous album. <laughs> sure, yep, um, which I would argue isn't their best album, but still, that's but okay. Their most famous album, you would say? Mm, I think Dookie's no? probably their most famous it's album. It's the only one I've really heard of. American Idiot. Yeah. I'd say American Idiot was probably the one that made them break through into the mainstream, shall Maybe. we say? Maybe. I think you'd probably know more. We may also be showing before. our age of I'm what time of music that we came yeah. through. In. <laughs> yes, absolutely. But, um, yes. but it's not. It's not new in that it's the 10th anniversary tour. So the the musical has already been out before, but this is the 10th anniversary tour. And what I think is really interesting, it's a pretty brutal look on... I mean, the the album came out post 9-11 as a look on... uh, Well, exactly what it says, American Idiot. The sort of idiocy of some of the American culture and population and some of the decisions they make. Um, And it's kind of a a real sort of tongue-in-cheek look at some of the things that Americans do that are not very intelligent um, and that's you know it, but, but, they're, but they're not doing it in a harsh way they're sort of looking at themselves as well yeah. um, and the musical in a sense it makes that even more dramatic point um, so the lead character is a heroin addict and it just shows lots of kind of stupid decisions and it's just very cleverly done I mean it, it's have not they, um, Have they updated it at all to kind of give it the new context because obviously 10 years of the context of what one might term the Ameri- the <laughs> idiocy of America yeah. um, it's probably changed perspective somewhat in that time yeah, frame Yeah I mean I don't think there was ever any sort of specific thing so in that case in that sense I think it has stood the test of time I, don't, I didn't see the one 10 years ago so I'm not I'm not quite sure um but it is it's pretty it's pretty hard hitting I guess guess it's just interesting because at the time they were writing against President Bush weren't they really whereas now dare I say it there might be those who think well yeah Bush was bad, but what we've got in Trump is even worse. Yeah, well, and I think I think there and many, are and many that would disagree with that. Sure, of yeah, course. But, but I just I wonder how much are, of that. I think comes there across. are definite parallels, right. um, and I think you could read into it whatever context you're in. Probably, um, it, it's a pretty hard line opening in that it opens with lots of kind of fu fu. So it's not an easy watch, but it's it's quite challenging. It's sort of I would say the opposite of the escapism thing that we were talking about with Avengers. It's quite um, the we word the word in theatre is Brechtian, where you're kind of made to think about what is what is going on well, you, you haven't heard the new opening to the signal podcast who updated our music and it's just fufu isn't it james <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe on future episodes we'll determine whether or not to use that intro but uh, it was very uh, very kind of you to sing it for us sam um so <laughs> so that is the american idiot uh tour it's the 10th anniversary tour of green day's show uh currently touring uh the uk uh through i think believe looking at through the end of July uh, yeah. ending up at Liverpool's Playhouse Theatre also it's playing in, in Cheltenham Aberdeen Bradford and uh, King's Theatre in between now and then it's in Wimbledon in two weeks time currently and, in Reading um, Wimbledon two weeks time there you go so if that is uh, something that uh, you want to reminisce about uh, your youthful delight in Green Day's music which I personally would say Warning was their best album just going to put that out there uh, that we can uh, dive back into that uh, coming up uh, over the next couple of weeks <laughs> my recommendation this month is actually another podcast uh, one in which uh, you may uh, be able to link to stories that we referenced earlier on in the show. It's actually a show called Holy Smoke. It is a podcast from The Spectator. Uh, Many of you may know that The Spectator usually actually does over-index slightly in coverage of religious affairs and uh, particularly Christian perspective on religious affairs from a certain, uh, well, 
political uh, lifestyle, I suppose. And uh, but the show itself is is really fascinating. It's a uh, show called Holy Smoke. It's the most important and controversial topics in world religion, uh, dissected by a range of guests and presented by Damien Thompson. Uh, I would recommend there's a couple of interesting episodes which you might like the titles of in recent uh, months. Uh, the month before last, Why Are Bishops So Boring? Quite a fascinating <laughs> discussion. Um, I'm not sure that they necessarily come to a, a perspective that I would agree with, but there is uh, that's one for you to go look at. Uh, they've also covered topics um, in the past about why Anglicans and Catholics may never unite uh, and also looked at the story of people who were uh, dealing with cancer and faith. Uh, the most recent episode, um, obviously with coming off the back of a, a more Easter flavour, is why Bach's St Matthew's Passion speaks to us all, which is actually a really fascinating uh, look at why people go every year, whether they're Christians or not, to go and listen to St Matthew's Passion, uh, which is obviously this kind of wonderful Bark three-hour kind of piece uh, played in cathedrals and concert halls all over the world and just why uh, that grips us so much and why it alludes to the story of the Passion and, and how that is something that does cut through culture. Um, so I would recommend that this month. It is Holy Smoke from The Spectator. You can go find that on Audio Boom or wherever you get your podcasts. And while you are there checking out Holy Smoke, you might do us a favour by leaving us a rating or a review. Um, if you want to know how to do a review, depending on the podcast platform of your choice, I can't really tell you. It's too complicated, but I'm sure you can work it out. No, actually, if you are listening in the show, please, uh, particularly on Apple Podcasts, and that's where it really helps us. If you would swipe up, hit that five stars, leave a little review, that would be lovely. Um, whether or not you believe we deserve five stars or not is up to you, but I would advocate that five stars is the number that you should be heading for. And um, if not, uh, you could also leave us your open and honest critique and thoughts, of course, there in the review as well. And that links... And that brings us to the end of this month's episode of Signal from Christians in Media. We would love it if you would come and join us at one of our upcoming events, as I mentioned at the top of the show. Uh, you can find out all of the information about those at christiansinmedia.co.uk. You can get tickets for our upcoming sessions uh, at Carlton House Terrace on the 27th of June. That's the most uh, upcoming event in the calendar uh, over on Eventbrite, and you can find all the information you need for that on the website. But for now, that brings us to the end of the show, and I want to thank uh, my wonderful co-hosts as they join me every month uh, the the dame oh good I thought <laughs> I'd lost my title no, no, we're stick with the title <laughs> thank you <laughs> the dame Ruth Jackson and uh, Mr Sam Hales as well thank it's you been enlightening and convicting as always James thank <laughs> he, you he will, he will last one more month until we use that F-bomb intro and I'm sure <laughs> and, uh, his position much like the cabinet secretary will be reconsidered okay and that brings us to the end of this episode of Signal we'll see you again next month where we'll discuss all the things that are going on in the world of faith and media from Christians and Media thanks 